0: stories from your community. This is the 519 Podcast, part of the Blackburn Media Podcast Network.
1: More than a million Canadian men and women contributed to the war effort during the 1940s. Most of them were given full recognition for their efforts. But there are some stories, like the farmerettes, that fell by the wayside. Some of them were never really recognized at all. This was also the case for the thousands of men and women who worked on radar technology, a piece of tech that changed the course of the war. What these men and women researched, built, and worked on was classified. They were sworn to secrecy until the early 90s when their life stories and hard work were slowly and finally brought to light. In this episode of the 519 Podcast, we talk about the development of radar technology in southwestern Ontario and the impact it had on the Second World War. This is The Secrets of Radar in the Second World War, and this episode is hosted by Craig Needles.
2: Well, back in the war, uh, you've heard the saying, loose lips sink ships. Well, you know, if you were talking to your friend in the pub about, oh, you know, my, my son's being shipped out this week out of, you know, out of Halifax. Well, you could have a German spy sitting in the pub and you've now given him information that there should be a convoy around a certain date. And everyone was aware of this. So it was easy
0: not to talk about it at the time. That was Steve Bordeaux, president of the Secrets of Radar Museum in London. And like Steve said, many of the men and women who worked on radar kept that part of their lives a secret until well after the war had ended. It was not until the expiration of the Official Secrets Act in 1991 that they began sharing their work with the public.
2: We like to say that we're the greatest Greatest Canadian story never told before 1991, because we are founded by a group of World War II radar veterans who were sworn to secrecy for 50 years. And when they decided to get, they could get together in 1991, they find that their story had been passed over while other stories had been written about Canadians' uh, activities during World War II. So they set about writing up themselves. So... This is our 20th year
0: here, and this is a culmination of 20 years hard work. As you'll come to notice through the episode, radar technology was extremely valuable. The fact that it was being researched and assembled thousands of kilometers away from the front lines, yet operated with a tell no one guidance speaks to that. So how did Southwestern Ontario of all places end up becoming the central hub for radar technology? Canada and the UK were very active in
2: building air bases here for Canada to support the war effort and train pilots, uh, air crew, navigators, uh, bombardiers, gunners, pilots, navigate, you know, co-pilots. And part of this was, well, you know, we're already working on this. Canada had a small radar research program going. And when the Chissor Commission arrived, they went, oh, you're already doing this, this is wonderful. We'd like you to work on this. We need you to develop it, get it into production, and build radar sets, all top secret. So, you know, uh, none of this is really available until after 1991, and even then it's uh, difficult to find a lot of this information. Canada was to provide training to produce airmen for the war effort. Part of that, one of the bases established in southwestern Ontario was a secret radar base located at Clinton, Ontario. And that's where the rubber hit the road. All the scientific research being done came together at Clinton and they trained our Air Force personnel on
0: the use of radar equipment. Radar, meaning radio direction, finding, and ranging, worked by transmitting a radio signal, bouncing it off an aircraft, and receiving the signal back. Using that signal, radar technologists could determine where an aircraft is, the height and speed at which it was flying, as well as the number of aircrafts in a certain area. The technology was used by the Allies to track both enemy aircraft and their own. There's a
2: system that The UK had set up, it was a universal defense system using radar, and all the information they gleaned from the radars, from ground observers, and anyone else in the observer corps was all fed into a central processing room called a plotting room. And from there, they would actually plot the movements of the aircraft on huge maps, and that gave the observers who were the officers a live picture of what was transpiring during that raid so not only could they track the enemy aircraft they could track the friendlies and they knew the status of each aircraft and The premise of the system was to keep the UK fighters on the ground for as long as possible and then send them up to intercept the raids as they were coming in. And this was very successful.
0: The Royal Air Force Base in Clinton was North America's very first radar training school. Men and women were recruited from all over the country and sent to that secret radar base to learn and train on how to use and build radar systems. They would go on to become radar mechanics, operators, teachers, physicists, researchers, and manufacturers. So they had to start recruiting. And
2: the basic premise was, well, we're looking for men good in science and mathematics. And this would be for duty behind the line and you wouldn't be on the front lines. So, and that's all we can tell you right now. So you would have to sign up on good faith. And then you would be sent to, there were 13 universities in Canada who were doing crash courses in basic electronics. So you would be sent to one of these universities. Western was one of them. And these airmen would, if they passed this course, then they were sent to Clinton for radar training. And that's when they were swine secrecy. It it was all volunteer in Canada. So during... The the first request for people was a 1,000 men capable of helping with radar. So the first bunch were actually recruited from institutions of higher knowledge, as well as a lot of people don't know that with amateur radio, you can easily communicate with Europe. And you have to have a basic understanding of radio theory. And these guys, when the war broke out, All amateur radio licenses in Canada were suspended. So here are these guys twiddling their thumbs. They're rather frustrated. And the Air Force has this list of amateur radio operators. So they went around knocking on doors. The first uh, group of 1,000, up to 100 of them, were actually amateur radio
0: operators. So they came from everywhere. Who would have thought that throughout this entire country the spot they would pick to do top secret and crucial work was that small town in Clinton? The work made an irreversible impact on the battlefield from the first moment it was implemented. The biggest test for radar prevented the United Kingdom from becoming a pile of rubble in what became the largest air battle in history. Hitler was planning
2: an invasion of the UK called Operation Sea Line, and he demanded that they have air superiority. So the Luftwaffe had been on a campaign of bombing RAF air bases for several weeks, and had they continued, they would have been successful. Well. As happens in war, something happened. The Germans had a crew get lost, and they ended up bombing a purely civilian target. Well, this really annoyed uh, the commander of Bomber Command, so he ordered a 12-plane raid on Berlin as retaliation. Göring had promised Hitler, no bombs will ever fall on German soil on Berlin, and it had just happened. So this infuriated Hitler, and he ordered the immediate destruction of London. So now the liftoff had to change tactics. And at this point in time, their intelligence was telling them that the RAF was down to a mere handful of fighters. So September 15th was three raids in succession, starting at dawn, and the plan was to draw the RAF out in a one final battle and wipe them out. Well, it didn't go as according to plan. When the first wave arrived at the coast, The British fighters are waiting and they severely mauled them going in and going out. Second wave hit the coast, same thing. Third wave hits the coast, fighters are waiting for them. And this is all due to the universal defense of the radar guiding them. And the Germans weren't too sure, you know, prior to this, whether they had radar or not. But by now, they're pretty much assured that those little towers that they didn't know what they were, were actually radar stations. So... The third wave arrives and they got pretty much scared. A lot of them just jettisoned their bombs and turned for home. So based on the information of this raid, Hitler postponed
0: the invasion of England. It was at this point that Hitler decided to change strategies. Instead of trying to fight the allies from the air, he decided to turn to the water. His plan was to cut off England's supplies using his U-boat fleet and starving them into surrendering. However, the Allies' radar technology was far more advanced than he realized. In 1940, the Tizard
2: Commission arrived in Canada and they had with them a prototype of a brand new vacuum tube called a cavity magnetron. And this allowed them to produce 7,000 watts of microwave frequency energy in a tube. That was a game changer. Now they can get accurate high-power radar into aircraft and the night fighters are super efficient now. They're they're very successful. The U-boats are being knocked off in consecutive order. The uh, out the the planes would spot the submarines, radio the position to the convoy, and a lot of the German U-boat losses were a combination of cooperation between the aircraft attacking and then the navy following up with a series of depth charges. So the U-boats changed tactics during the war. They started putting anti-aircraft guns on the U-boats in the hope they could stand and fight and shoot down a single plane and that would allow them to escape. But by war's end, they could spot a uh, periscope sticking out of the water. They didn't have
0: to have the whole submarine surfaced. So that was pretty much it for the U-boat fleet. By the 1940s, the Germans had also developed their own radar systems, but it was actually quite different from the radar tech the Allies were using. And it was this difference that proved to be the Germans' downfall. Theirs was actually higher frequency
2: than the British radar. Because in the beginning, the urgency in 1937 was get these radar stations built. So they had to design them around the technology they already had and the parts that were already in production. So that produced a low-frequency radar system. Well, the Germans saw these towers going up. Well, they could be radar, so let's find out. So they actually ran an airship up and down the English Channel with surveillance equipment on it, sweeping for the transmission frequencies. And because the German radar was a much higher frequency, that's where they were looking. They never found anything. So they dismissed these early stations as they must be some type of commercial broadcast that we don't know what they are so they just didn't pay any attention to them well when the battle of britain got started they go those have to be radar <laughs> so then they tried taking them out uh is very difficult to bomb a radar tower because you actually have to hit the tower itself to knock it down uh they succeeded in knocking one off the air but was only out for about an hour. They were very fragmented in their military because the Army didn't talk to the Air Force, who didn't talk to the Navy, all very vertical and information was power. So you didn't share any important information with other factions because it would diminish your standing in the ranks as far as Hitler was concerned. So they're all very guarded on what they would do. So radar was only really used for things like yes they could track aircraft with it but they didn't have a universal reporting system like the UK did so by the time they transferred the information to someone who got it to the Luftwaffe who managed to scramble some fighters the raid was over in a lot of cases so so yes they did have radar and it was uh fairly well advanced but By the time the cavity magnetron came along, the Allies radar was leaps and bounds ahead of them.
0: Over the years, Steve has met with many Cold War and Second World War veterans. He's heard the stories through the trials and dangers they've gone through. One is the story of Charlie Young, a paratrooper and radar mechanic. He was trained at Clinton. He was also trained in combat,
2: and he was also trained in parachute jumping. And his mission was to, after D-Day, he was to jump Behind enemy lines with mobile radar, set it up and monitor enemy movements. He was fortunate because uh, fellows that were going on those missions didn't fare too well, and the war came to a conclusion so quickly that Charlie didn't have to go. He was bitterly disappointed, <laughs> but it probably saved his life. If you didn't, if you weren't killed in the jump or had your equipment damaged or whatever uh you knew the germans were going to come looking for you so uh yeah it was a it was a difficult task for those guys and there's fellows in north africa you know they they put up with malaria and all the neat things that go with it Uh, um extreme conditions uh my dad, he was up in Sullivoy in the Shetland Islands, a godforsaken place. In the winter time, it's very cold and windy, and they're working with amphibious aircraft. So it was—it
0: wouldn't have been fun. Like, okay, I'm from Canada, but this is cold. And while the men were deployed overseas, many Canadian women also played their part in the war effort. An all-female division of the Royal Canadian Air Force was established in 1939. It was called the Women's Auxiliary Air Force. These women worked as radar monitors, clerks, telephone operators, and more. They were the eyes and ears for the men in the air.
2: Pretty much their role was to be trained on radar and be the radar operators. Uh, They would also have women who were called plotters, They would take the information and they would actually put it on markers and put it on the map and they would move them in real time as they got updates from the radar uh, operator. They tracked the not only enemy planes, but the uh, friendlies as well. So they knew what was going on at all times. By 1943. All the air stations, all the radar bases in
0: the U.K. were pretty much dominated by women. You would think that with the sheer number of people involved in the development of radar technology, the public would be well-versed in its history. But now, over three decades later, many of the stories are still undiscovered. Many of these women and men took their secrets to the grave. How were they able to keep what they were doing a secret for so long?
2: You would have been charged with treason because you're sharing top-secret information with people who are not cleared. Uh, There are some cases, uh, war brides emigrated to Canada from the UK after the war, and many of them were radar operators, and they married a Canadian radar mechanic and moved to Canada, and those two people could talk to each other about it, but you couldn't talk to your kids, you couldn't talk to your relatives, and the the fellows that came back and got married, you, you couldn't tell your wife what you did during the war. you could do it well we fixed radios and basically that's what my dad said (laughs) all these guys coming back from the war knew how to fix television sets when you think about it tvs weren't around then
0: so that's a mystery (laughs) finding information about ontario's involvement in radar was nearly impossible up until 1991 but slowly a collection of stories began to form well they started having uh reunions and
2: Getting together, and then you know they had radar reunions, and then they they started talking, and people went to Ottawa to under you know the Freedom of Information Act. They were looking at what material that was there, and found that there's still very little. So they set about writing their own story. In fact, we have a book here which is compiled by the veterans themselves of everyone they could think of that was in the radar program from 1940 to 45.
0: The secret work that these men and women were doing in Clinton changed the scientific and technological trajectory of the 20th century. Radar technology plays a ubiquitous role in our lives, one that we're not even aware of in a lot of cases. Radar is used in air travel, weather forecasting, law enforcement, navigation, and so much more. The secret history of radar in southwestern Ontario is one of bravery and sacrifice. It's a little-known piece of history that's due for the recognition it deserves, because without these people who helped accomplish the dominance of radar, We might be looking at a much different world today.
1: This episode of the 519 Podcast was written and produced by Patrick Magermans and Haley Chang. It was hosted by Craig Needles. The 519 Podcast is a presentation of the Blackburn Media Podcast Network.